0: Father, we just thank you for your word, and as we look at it this morning, we would just pray that um, we have open hearts and open minds to take in and to learn. But Lord, more importantly, that we take it and we share it with those around us that may not know your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, our aim is always to just present your good news so that those who may not know you may come to know you and that we can rejoice Lord, we do thank you for the release of the prisoners from Iran, and as many have been praying, and I know the families are excited, and just uh, that they're on a plane home now, and we just thank and praise you for that answered prayer. Lord, we just want to pray for, for Mark and his mom, and God, that you would just comfort him, help us to be sensitive to come around him and support him during this time. Lord, be with Pastor Bill and Patty as, as they're traveling, but also just uh, during the service that you would just give Pastor Bill the right words to say, God, that uh, he's there for comfort, but then to just uh, celebrate a life uh, that's lived so long. Lord, we just thank and praise you that we have that hope in you, and just be with me this morning as we look at your word, and we thank and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So if you turn to me, Luke chapter 15, we're going to be looking at a, probably one of the most well-known parables that Jesus told. Uh, the prodigal son uh, can also be the parable of the lost son. Uh, but there really are three characters in this, uh, which we will see. And um, The audience that Jesus is talking to, we actually see in Luke 15, verse 1. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So, we know that Jesus is talking to tax collectors, to sinners. Uh, We know that the religious leadership is there the pharisees the teachers of the law they're listening to everything that's going on and i think if you look through the new testament when jesus is talking to to the audiences he's always harder on the religious leaders than he is the sinner because he has a real heart for us and he wants us to repent to confess our sins But the religious leaders who should know better, who have studied scripture, he was very hard on them because they should have seen it when he came. Uh, But they don't. So, Jesus goes in and actually before this, there's two other parables. There's the lost coin and there's there's the lost sheep. And so Jesus is the master storyteller. He gives analogies. and in, in any of the parables that he ever gave, there was always something there for everyone. And the spiritual leaders should have seen it. They saw what they wanted to see, but they didn't see the spiritual message. And that's kind of what we'll be taking a look at this morning in, in the prodigal son or the parable of the lost son. So... Even if the religious leaders rejected Jesus, they would understand the analogies that he was getting across. Because they would have been steeped in the law. They would have been trying to keep every point of the law they could. But we know that that can't be done. Uh, But they would miss the spiritual meanings. In uh, Matthew 13... 13 through 15, we read Jesus is talking and he says, This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears. And they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts. and turn, and I would heal them. And in John 12, verses 37 through 43, Even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet. Lord, who who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason they could not believe, because as Isaiah says elsewhere, he has blinded their eyes, hardened their hearts, so they can never see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts nor turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Yet at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in him, and to me, this is the sad part. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith. For fear, they would put, be put out of the synagogue. For they loved human praise more than the praise of God. And that would be something that I would want to guard against in my life. That I would not want to shout from the reto- rooftops that Jesus Christ is Lord. I would not want to be described as, but because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved human praise more than the praise from God. My hope would be that you would praise God from wherever you are and not be ashamed to do it. So this is sad, really. They would rather please Please man, then please god we 'll see this as we go through the parable on the prodigal son that the Pharisees just would not see they were so wrapped up in their power and their self righteousness that they could not see what was right before them you know and just think about how today that people or culture responds to you if they know you 're a christian do they say oh that's okay ignore you but there's usually ridicule they can say some pretty mean things they look at you and they may hear the word but they ignore it because they want to ignore it they don't want people to even consider that jesus christ is lord i mean think of some of the people that you see on the news how self-righteous they are or how they're looking for power or how they want to be looked upon. And that's the way the Pharisees and the Sadducees were. They would wear the fanciest robes. They would be seen praying. They basically were it. And that's what we see in culture today is people want to be it. They want to focus on them. They want It's always me, me, me. And like I said, there's two parables before the prodigal son. There's the lost coin and the lost sheep. And each of these, there is rejoicing at the one who is found. But in the prodigal son, we're going to see that not everyone rejoices. And prodigal, I don't know if you're familiar with that word, uh, basically mean it's an old world word that means spendthrift, extravagantly self-indulgent, self-indul- and recklessly wasteful. What does that sound like today? Sounds like the government. (laughs) Uh, But it can be. It can be us that, you know, we get that little extra money. And, uh, you know, we we should use it for one thing, but we use it on something else. And I really have to laugh. I was up in San Francisco this week, and I read a story that just, I mean, you heard about the Powerball this last week, right? $1.5 billion. I mean, I mean... I was looking on the internet to find out how much money was spent for it to be an award of $1.5 million. I mean, it had to be, I don't, does anybody know? I mean, how much money is taken in to award $1.5 billion to someone? Well, there was a story. Did anybody hear the story about Cinnamon? Cinnamon was a mother. She took all the money they had, all of it. Everything, and she played the powerball, and she went to goFundme you 've heard of GoFundMe, and she wanted people to fund her so she could pay her bills and continue to pay the lottery in the future. Um, GoFundMe took the site down, but not till after some people had donated eight hundred and forty dollars to her. Now, would you donate eight hundred and forty dollars to someone who was so foolish but Sometimes it's what we do. We, we look out there for that golden ring. And to she left her family with not paying their bills, no money to buy food. And you think, we're going to read about the prodigal son. and It's like, how could someone do that? But today, we see people do it, that money. And it's, it's the love of money. It's not the money itself. Because money is just an inanimate object. It's what you do with it that determines whether it's good or bad. But she put up a GoFundMe page, but they did take it down. So in the prodigal gun, we're going to see three three characters that Jesus is telling in this story. And one is the younger son. We see the father. And we see the older son. And a lot of times, we kind of focus more on the younger son and the father, which we will do today. But we're also going to look a little closer at the older son. And... Basically, his actions. So we're going to see the actions of the younger son. But the older son's actions are just as sinful as the younger son's. With one difference that we'll get into. So Luke 15, verses 11 through 12. Jesus continued, because he's been telling the other two parables. He continues. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Now you read that and it sounds okay, that's pretty simple. But this really was no simple request. He basically was telling his father to drop dead. Because normally for him to get an inheritance, because it would have been split, basically two-thirds would have went to the older son and one-third would have went to the younger son. And so basically he was telling his father... I wish you would drop dead because I want my inheritance. I want this money. Did you ever many of you raised teenagers i did well, mine are thirty and thirty three now um, but do you ever have a argument with your teenager you know and try to you know me when I was a little younger. I had a little more of a temper than I do today, so my responses weren't always probably what they should have been. Uh, but my kids still love me, thank goodness. Um, but I think about this, and I think even when I was a kid, I can remember an instant, in, instance where you know I'd gone in and I was getting ready, and I was going on a I was going on a date that night, and um, my dad could be kind of a jokester sometimes, or you know just always kind of get my goat. And he was joking around. Of course, I had, you know, got cleaned up, combed my hair, put on nice clothes because I was going out that night. And he was messing around. He actually grabbed me and he tore my shirt. (laughs) You can imagine how that made me feel. Here I'm getting ready to go out, you know, and he's torn the shirt that I want to wear that night. And sometimes you say things that you regret. And so later on I did have to apologize. But just think about that. Here is this young son and he's basically telling his father, give me my inheritance. Basically, I want you to drop dead. Basically, this young son who would have, you know, the story that they're telling because we are talking about a Jewish father, he would have violated the fifth commandment, which is honor your father and mother. The father was standing in the way of what this young son wanted. You know, he wanted his hands on that money. He wanted to gratify his own desires and wants. He basically, he says, you know what? I know better. Give me that money. I know what I want. It's kind of like cinnamon. She thinks I'm going to take this money and I'm just going to get richer. He wants to take his money and he wants to go out and have a grand old time, which he does. And basically it talks about the estate. So you can't even imagine that this this young man is going to pack up furniture and all of this stuff that he's going to pack up because in a moment we're going to see that he goes off to a distant land. So basically what he would have wanted is he would have wanted stuff that he could liquidate. He would possibly sell the estate um Kind of, you've heard of futures. So basically, he would have sold his portion of the inheritance on the premise that whoever bought it would get it when the father died. And it's basically a word, uh, it's a Greek word, eusia, and it's used as basically the part of the estate that could be quickly liquidated. So, because he wasn't going to be able to carry it off to a far off land. So the father, in this instance, really, I mean, if you were a father, and you're especially a Jewish father, and your son comes to you and says, give me my inheritance, basically he's telling you, drop dead, what kind of response would you have? Normally your response probably would get upset. I know I would, especially in my younger days. I, God's really helped me through that. So, uh, But in my younger days, it uh, probably wouldn't have been quite as as patient as this father was but he grants the younger son's wishes and he divides the wealth between the sons so he gave him what he wanted so he gave him what he wanted now the Pharisees they would have been looking at this and they would have been really upset they would have thought this was such a shameless act that at this point the father was acting shamelessly and not the young man that basically the father should have responded differently and basically put that young man in his place. But the Lord's making a spiritual point that God gives sinners the freedom to choose their course. Verses 13 and 16. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had. And basically that means he turned everything into cash because he's not going to be taking wagons and horses and and all of that with him. He set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went. He hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. But no one gave him anything to eat. So today, he probably would have headed off to San Francisco, Los Angeles, Las Vegas, you know. But basically, it was a distant country. It would have been a Gentile country because he wanted no accountability. He didn't want to be around anywhere that anyone could hold him accountable for what he was doing. Now, I don't know back then what kind of wild living would have been. Uh, but I know today what, what wild living can be. I've had to go to meetings in Las Vegas, and you see everything that goes on there. You can go you can go downtown San Diego and see wild living. It's just an, what you want to do at the time. And um, Nevada is pushing Nevada's pushing for the whole state to legalize prostitution, which would be a really bad thing. You think prostitution's bad now? You can imagine what it would be like if it was legal. Um, So here he's going to go wild living. Now, when I first got out of the Air Force uh, many long years ago, uh, I went to work in Lake Tahoe. And Lake Tahoe, you could see some pretty wild living. But I worked with guys that um, we got paid at midnight. Uh, Every Wednesday, we got paid at midnight. And on the end of the paycheck was two drink tickets. And so you could take the paycheck upstairs to the main cashier. And if you cashed your check and got all that cash, you got two more drink tickets. So you've got a casino with roulette, blackjack, uh, baccarat, craps. Uh, You've got four drinks uh, and a pocket full of cash. What do you think would happen? I literally knew guys that before they left... They were broke. And the next day, they were in the finance office taking a draw on the next check to help pay their bills. So it's not too far-fetched to read that this young man wasted everything that his father had given him. Because we see it today. You know, my dad always told me, he says... Don't drink, smoke, or chew, or mess around with girls that do. Uh, and that's kind, of, that's kind of what this young man was doing. He was drinking, he was lash, lavish living, it was whatever it all. And in his older brother, as we see towards the end of the parable, his older brother even indicates, you know, he's off running around with prostitutes. So he's just living, living the life of luxury. But what happens? Now it's all gone. It says not long after the younger son got all together that he had, he set off to a distant country where they where he squandered his wealth. But his friends his friends stuck with him, right? No, that's not what it says. The Party was over, the friends were gone. Uh, I read, you know who Mark Cuban is? Rather. Rich person, I was reading an article the other day and he was talking about people that win the lottery and things like that. And one of the, he was giving advice what to do. One of the first things he said was, get a good financial advisor. Number two, don't give any money to anyone that asks for it. He says, there are people in your life that you know that need help. Those are the ones you want to help. But he says, anyone that asks for it doesn't need it. And I thought, I never thought about that. Because do you think people come out of the woodwork when you hit the jackpot like that? You got friends you didn't even know you had. And I think that's the way this young man was. They saw he was, he was the party king. And so he had people just probably falling all over him. That basically, you know, as long as he was foot in the bill, they were his friend. So the party's over now. His friends are gone. He's broke. He's flat broke. And I mean, he basically has nothing. And to add insult to injury, scripture says, then there was a famine. He hadn't planned, he hadn't prepared. And I wrote a note here, and I said, you know, if he'd taken Financial Peace University from Dave Ramsey, he would have been prepared. But unfortunately, he didn't. So he's without clothes. He has no food. He has no money. He has no friends. And he is in a foreign land with no way to contact family members. He was destitute. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation that... You know, this day and age, we have cell phones. You know, we have smartphones. I mean, we can get a hold of people in a heartbeat. But have you ever been in the past, some of you before cell phones and all that, you're driving out to Yuma and your car breaks down on Interstate 8? What do you do? I mean, there's not a lot of gas stations along certain stretches. There's no phones. And my understanding is that the emergency phones that were along there didn't always work because they couldn't get a signal. I mean, that's kind of a... That's a, that's really kind of a feeling of loss. I mean, because you are stuck out here in the middle of nowhere, and you just hope that whoever stops is, is a good person. So... But he's hit rock bottom. He has hit rock bottom. So... What he thought had brought him happiness only brought him pain, emptiness, and basically on the brink of death. It was starvation. He was really in a bad way. Really in a bad way. But he's not ready to give up. He's not ready to realize where he is. He was not ready to humble himself and go home. And I think sometimes we're like that, is that the last thing I'm going to do is ask someone for help. And so he came up with a plan. He came up with a plan. It says that after he had spent everything, there was a sphere of famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So he came up with a plan. I can go find a job. I can get something to eat. Verse 15, so he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. Now, I think most of you probably know in the Jewish culture, what's one of the things they don't eat? Pork. Pork what is probably the most degrading job that this young man could have gotten to go and feed and to, to feed and take care of the pigs. And he still hadn't had any food because it talks about eating pods. And I was looking up to see, and they said these were probably carob pods. And I think they're, they're sweet, but they're kind of hard, and they're kind of hard to eat. They said that you can grind them up, and I think there's like a... Eric, it's like a health food bar or something that has carob in it. Yeah. Pardon me? It's a chocolate replacement. Yeah, exactly. And so, but said that pods were kind of hard to eat, would, you know, would be kind of tough. Um, but I did find on YouTube, there was a young man there who was, he was showing how to eat carob pods. And I thought, okay, but I don't know. They looked, everything I read says they were pretty tough to eat. So this is all he had. So... You know, here you have a Jewish young man in a Gentile country, and he's taking care of pigs. You don't really get much lower than that. And sometimes I think, you know, he would be, according to Jewish law, he would be so unclean. I mean, it it just, he would be so unclean, it would be unbelievable. So this would be one of the most degrading jobs possible for this young man. And sometimes we just have to hit rock bottom to look up. And I was reading this though, talking about this job. How many know Mike Rowe? Dirty Jobs? You ever watch that show? There's some dirty jobs out there. I'll tell you, there are some dirty jobs out there. And you know, there's people who do them every day willingly. And I think, wow, could I do that? It just, I knew a guy one time that actually had a really nice office job in that. And his father was, was ailing. And basically, he ended up moving back to South Dakota. And basically, what it was is his dad would go clean out and pump out uh, septic tanks. Now, he had a nice office job. But you know what? He loved his father so much. And he wanted to go help take care of him. And he helped take care of the business. And I thought, man, that is is love. And so there's a lot of dirty jobs out there. But you know, it's good hard work. It's good money. Uh, But in this case... This would have been the lowest of the low for this young man. So the word hired in the verse, this is the word hired. It's the Greek word "kaloa," which means glued or fixed firmly. Um, I think today we could probably use duct tape. You know, duct tape, it works well for everything for what it was, in, except for what it was invented for. And um, I think you see in the movies and stuff, they always duct tape people's mouths shut. I mean, you rip that off, it's going to hurt. Uh, but he was really fixed firmly to this guy. He was begging for a job. He was hungry. He was destitute. He had no money. He had no friends. He'd literally have been such a pest that the guy would have given him this job. But in the text, he says he was so hungry, he was going to eat the pods at the pig's gate. Because no one, no one would give him food. So after he had expended all his money, had been such... Well, he thought he was a good friend. You know, the partying was going on, but no one would give him food. And he wasn't even a good beggar. I mean, he couldn't even get someone to give him food. You know, we're all at a different place in our life. We have decisions to make. And this young man had a decision to make. And... God puts us in positions to make decisions every day. You know, one, do we consult him on what those decisions we do? Do we lift those up to him? And do we say, you know, consult the Lord and wait to listen? Sometimes we get so low, we finally realize that Christ is the answer or that God can help us. You know, it takes, some time. it takes some time for us to realize that we're such sinners and Christ died for us. You know, it just, uh, I look back on my life and I know there's been times I've really been prideful. You know, and it's just like, I am not getting down on my knees and pray. I can handle this. But you know what? If you're reading and praying, God is going to enlighten you. He's going to open your eyes. But we have to realize that we really need Christ in our life. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And in Romans five eight, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So we can come to our senses. And that's what the, that's what the verse says. It says... That he came to his senses. When he came to his senses. And that's what we can do. Psalm 139. Because God, God will pursue us. God will pursue us. I can, Psalm 139. I can never escape from the spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. God knows where you are, and he's patient. He is patient, and he will wait. Luke fifteen seventeen through 19. So when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I set out to go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son, make me like one of your servants. So basically he says, I can go back to my father. I can at least get something to eat. I can get a a roof over my head and I can work back. I can do, he's what is, let me say, he says, make me like one of your hired servants. So he's going to go back and he's going to work. He's going to try and work back in the good graces of his father. Show him, look, I messed up, but you know, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to do all of this stuff just so you will love me again. Because he knew when he came to his senses, he remembered his father, and he remembered his father's goodness. His father did not have to give him his part of the inheritance, but he gave him his he gave him his part. He came to his senses. And the hired men back then, they're probably day laborers, unskilled, poor. They would work for whatever they could. Um, And we see that today in our communities. Um, And he knew that at least at the end of the day, if he went back and worked for his father, that at the end of the day, he'd have a little bit of money, he'd have a little bit of food, and he could work his way back because based on the law and what they what his father should do in Leviticus 19.13, says do not defraud our neighbor or rob him. Do not hold back the wages of a hired man overnight so they would be paid every day. In Deuteronomy 24, do not take advantage of a hired worker who is poor and needy. Whether that worker is a fellow Israelite or a foreigner residing in one of your towns, pay them their wages each day before sunset because they are poor and are counting on it. Other ways, they may cry to the Lord against you, and you will be guilty of sin. So he knew that at the end of the day, if he went back to his father and worked, that he would get some money at the end of the day that he could use to buy food and uh, not be destitute. I know um, my first job was picking beans. And, you know, I would think I was like 14 years old, something like that. It was one of my first jobs. I also worked in a pool hall, so... Uh, but I was, but at, at picking beans, you know, you had to pick like so many bushels every day and all of that. And you got paid at the end of the day. And, you know, for me being 14 years old, that was pretty good. You know, it, I got money at the end of the day. I had something to put in my pocket. And so that's what this young man, would. he would have money in his pocket at the end of the day. So the young man soon would have known this and hoped that his father would treat him at least as good as he treats his hired men. So he had that hope that he at least could be treated as good as a hired. But he does humble himself. He finally comes to realization and he humbles himself because he says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. Now, the Pharisees would have loved this. They would have thought, this young man has blown everything he's had. He's going to come back to his father. And his father basically has, he's in control now. And he says, you know, the only way back is you're going to confess. You're going to repent. You're going to be humiliated. You're going to be shamed. And perhaps, maybe, just perhaps, you'll receive forgiveness and mercy but only after you fully pay back your father. And that's what they would have expected the father to respond. They would have expected the father to respond in this way to really do this to his own son. In other words, you had to earn your way back. The younger son realized that the only person now that could save him was his father. He knew his father's goodness, compassion, generosity because he had seen it. And he didn't expect to be welcomed back immediately, especially in the family, but just as a hired man. Then in Luke 15, we see the father. We see the father's response. So he got up, went to his father, but while he was still a long way off. So his father must have been looking for him. His father saw him, was filled with compassion for him, and he ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it in put it on him, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. He ran to his son. This is not something that a man of this stature would normally do. And the word run, it's like running a race. That's the word. It's basically he ran like running a race. He would have girded up his robe. He would have shown his legs, which normally would not be done. And he ran to his son. Now the Pharisees and the teachers, they would have expected the father to ignore him for a while and would shame him. They would have been shocked by this response. This just did not go along with their legalism. But the father is filled with compassion. He runs to him. He throws his arms around him and he kisses him. Now can you you imagine that this, probably this young man had not had a bath in a while. He'd been in the, with the pigs. He only had one set of clothes. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm not too sure I'd be willing to wrap my arms around him and give him a kiss. I'd say, go take a shower first. But he didn't. He basically... I mean, I couldn't even imagine the inch, but this father ran. He ran like he was running a race grabbed his son, wrapped his arms around him, and began kissing him. The Pharisees, the teachers of the law, would have been furious. They're like, what are you doing? This guy is so dirty. He's been with pigs. He's unclean. He was breaking the law. This is the point that Jesus is trying to make. The law doesn't save. They missed it. This father showed grace. The son did not deserve it, but the father showed it. Praise the Lord. We're saved by grace. Saved by grace. Ephesians 2.8. In Luke 15.21, the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer to be called your son. And you know what's missing in that part is it doesn't say make me as one of your hired men. Because he doesn't have to work his way back. He has humbled himself, confessed his sin, and knows that the Father has shown grace and given him something that he doesn't deserve. And that's how Jesus is just one of the master storytellers because he's bringing this around now. And that's, that's just like us. We don't have to work our way to heaven. God's grace. We just confess our sin, and know that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, and believe, and He is faithful to forgive us of our sins. He is our loving father luke fifteen twenty two again but the Father said to the servants, "Quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put the ring on his finger, and sandals on his feet. The scribes again, they would have just been shocked by all of this they 're muttering they 're angry. The ring basically bore the family crest and would give the privileges and rights and authority on his son. The sandals would have shown that he's been restored to the family because normally slaves did not wear sandals. But the, the Pharisees would have been outraged. You know, I mean, this, they would have been muttering behind their back. In fact, they would have been, I mean, they would have just been incensed. Have you ever been so angry? you just couldn't talk I mean that's kind of kind of the way that's kind of the way they would have been because this whole thing and, and they know this is kind of pointed at them, but they 're still not getting the spiritual message Romans eight six through seventeen the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we 're god 's children. Now, we are children, then we, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. And that's what this father was doing. He was bringing him back. They were going to have a celebration. Galatians 4, 7, so you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Legalism hates grace. There's just no other way to say it. The Pharisees, the teachers, they hate this because it threatens their power and their prominence. You know, they hold this power and this arrogance over the people. You know, they'd be around in their fancy robes. They're thinking they're better than other people. You know, look at me. Look how godly I am. The Father threw a great feast. He was going to celebrate the return of the son. We saw in the lost coin and the lost sheep that there was a celebration. But this was a great celebration. This was, I mean, this was a huge thing. A whole town could have been invited. So we see in the two parables before that the celebrations, and even today, I always like this verse in James 5, which I think is something we should commit to heart. This should be our mindset, my brothers and sisters. If one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. That's in James 5:19 through 20. Rejoice when someone, you know, falls away that comes back. We should rejoice, you know, that this person has come back. This is a grand celebration. At the return of the lost son, his return, his forgiveness. You're probably thinking, wait a minute, you said there was another son. There's the older son, the older son's response. So we read in verses 25 through 30. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field, so he was out doing what he was supposed to do. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what's going on your brother has come he replied and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound now what's the brother's response is it excitement is it joy nope verse 28 the older brother became angry and refused to go in so his father went out and pleaded with him but he answered his father look All these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. That's the law. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him? The older brother, he's coming in from the fields, his pretty large estate because he hadn't heard what was going on until he got close. And he comes in and he asks the the young servant what's going on. And he tells him and he becomes angry. Instead of being overjoyed and excited, he becomes angry. He says, you know, this kid of yours runs off. He spends everything you gave him. Now he's spending my inheritance. Because remember, the scripture says he gave the portion to the young son and the portion to the older son. He says, you're giving him my inheritance he says you're giving him my fatted calf my ring my robe basically is what he's saying and so the older son was so angry he would not go in and partake of the party the older son was being legalistic he was looking at this from the point of view that the father should have responded differently to the younger son he says i've stayed here i've worked i've obeyed all your orders all your commands he says you didn't even give me a young goat that i could celebrate with my friends so he's not even talking about celebrating with his family he just says you wouldn't even give me a goat to celebrate with my friends it's just me 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 why didn't you do something for me i stayed here I worked, I slaved, I did all these things just like you wanted me to. So his heart was in the wrong place. He's mad because the father has accepted the brother back, no questions asked, no restitution, no groveling, no shame, no working to get back into the good graces of the father. Because this young man was due to the graces his father was welcomed back into the family. Older brother was basically just like the Pharisees. He's filled with sin on the inside. Bitterness, hatred, jealousy, anger, unrepentant, self-righteous, and critical. The older brother wanted the estate for himself, just like the younger brother, but he was just going at it in a different way. He says, as long as I do what my dad tells me, don't rock the boat, you know, dad will give me my part of the inheritance. But we have to, you know, legalism, we have to really be very careful. Even today, we need to be careful within the church when traditions trump scripture. We need to be careful. Matthew 23, 27, 28, Jesus is speaking. He says, "'Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside.'" But on the inside, you're full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous. But on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. And we need to guard against that. You know, we look like spiritual giants on the outside, that we do everything perfectly, that we do what everyone expects of us. But we have to make sure that we're clean on the inside. We have to make sure that what's on the inside, that our heart really is focused towards God. There's no love for his father. He brings up his brother's sin. He has no love for his father or his younger brother. He should be rejoicing, just like the father is rejoicing. His younger brother is returned, but everything is about him. And the older son just doesn't the older son just doesn't see it. And then this is the father's response to the older son. Very compassionate. He says, My son, the father said, you, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate to be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Kind of sounds like the song we sang this morning, doesn't it? Amazing Grace. The Jews have been given the scriptures. They should have known the very leaders who studied scripture should have known, but they failed to see because of their spiritual blindness. It was about them and not about Jesus. We pray, we fast, we keep the law. On and on and on. It was all about the outward things that they were doing that they thought made them spiritual, but their heart was not right. Their heart was not right. And you know what? The story just ends. It just ends with the father's last words. But we we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and lives again. He was lost and is found. How would you write the end of the story? Because we don't know after the father said this, we don't know the response of the older brother. Jesus doesn't tell us. So how would you write the end of the story? Would the older brother repent? Would he be humbled and come back into the graces of his father? Well, if he's like the Pharisees, we know how the Pharisees responded. Because Jesus was a threat to their way of life. We know that they had Jesus crucified. We don't know if the brother stayed angry. We don't know if he turned his back on the father. We just don't know. But we do know how the Pharisees responded. And if the older brother stayed like the Pharisees, he would have turned his back on his father. There's decisions to be made. And that's what Jesus is getting at. He leaves us at a point that we need to make a decision. The Pharisees and scribes knew he was talking to them. But they probably missed the spiritual meaning of what he was trying to say. Just like today. You may share Christ with others. You may share what, you know, the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. But they just don't accept it. So how about you? If you don't know Christ, will you trust him today? Will you make him Lord and Savior? Do you want to be part of that celebration? In Revelation 22, just before the Bible ends, it says, The spirit and the bride say, Come. Let him who hears say, Come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. Whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water and life. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the, just the great parable that is in scripture. Just the example that it sets for us. Are we the younger son that we humble ourselves, that we realize and come to our senses and know that Jesus Christ is the way? Or are we like the older son that we become angry, that the law wasn't followed, that this wasn't done this way and basically just turn our back lord we just thank you that we have your word to read that we have your word to study and that we can come and talk to you directly so lord i would pray that today that we would humble ourselves and know that we don't have to work our way to heaven that we can just put our faith in you and believe that you that your son jesus christ is our Lord and Savior. So I thank and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.